Hi, sweet audience of mine. It's been a while. I appreciate you taking time of your busy schedules and listening to the mindfulness podcast. My name is Anastasia and I'm here to talk to you about mindfulness. Duh. <laughs> Why it's important. How to learn to be here in the moment and in the moment of now. And also I'll be touching a few psychological topics, parenting, and we'll talk about self-confidence and uh, the self-talk we all have in, that, in, in our heads and learn about ourselves. And overall, you're here to talk about you. <laughs> um, after Christmas and New Year's times, I took some break. And I'm going to be honest with you, still everything is a bit fizzy in my head. But one thing I wanted to mention is, you know, when everyone's making lists and promises for the next year, goals for the next year. So before I start, I want to just remind you that thinking of the future is, of course, great. It's amazing. But please be sure to not lose yourself in thinking ahead of time. Don't focus too much on what will happen in the next 12 months and what you have to do to achieve something you planned. Make a rough plan and go back to now, okay? See what are those tiny steps you can do to achieve something long term, but don't live one year ahead because I've been talking to lots of people and they're like oh yeah this year I'm gonna definitely uh, do this and that and I'm gonna you know there's like big goals and big dreams it's great it's so good to have all that to have ambitions but then people get lost in that and they don't see that they're doing so great towards their goal right now they want to be already there where they put the end goal you know uh, right at the top and they don't see that they've already done let's say five steps in the first few weeks of new year or one step or just thinking of something or just planning something it already counts and today's episode will be about fear there you go cheerful <laughs> so fear is a basic physical reaction that's something we're born with as species we all know about our four biological responses to fear which is fight flight freeze and fawn the human experience of fear begins in the amygdala, the part of the brain that processes many of our emotions. When the amygdala is activated due to possible danger, it turns on that fear response. And when we experience the fight response, our brain is trying to ward off danger by defeating it. So it's, it's as literal as you can think of it, right? If our brain does not feel that it can successfully fight off the danger, he may decide to try to escape and that is triggering a flight response. So running away pretty much. When we freeze, we try to be very still and quiet and we hope that the danger just passes. And then when it passes, we relax again. And fawning is a fear response where the brain decides to try and please whoever is triggering the fear to prevent them from causing harm. This response is very common in survivors of trauma who might try to avoid abuse by keeping the abuser as happy as possible. This can also manifest as compliance to avoid being hurt. In my case, I realized that in my childhood, I used lots of freezing and fawning. So the reason why, let's say, my parents were really upset with me because they couldn't remember certain conversations or... They were really upset with me when we had a fight and they were like, oh, we had this like a week ago. We were discussing that a week ago. 
is that whenever someone's raising their tone, speaking to me and become more aggressive, I freeze. And in my own head, I just go elsewhere. So my body's there and I'm looking at people, but I completely freeze and I do not listen to what they're saying at all. That was my one way of avoiding fear. And fawning, <clears throat> I've noticed that um, when my mom used to call me a liar all the time. She was like, you're lying, you're a liar, uh, you're, not, you're not trustworthy, you're this or that. And then this, and when I grew up, you know, like when I was like 25 or something, I started asking questions. I was like, I never lie. Okay, I can occasionally uh, exaggerate something. I can occasionally avoid a day of work after being sick saying, you know what, I'm still a little bit off, but actually I'm, I'm healthy. But that's as maximum as I, as I can do it. Like, I don't lie. And I started thinking, I was like, well, I'm not a liar. But when I was a kid, I was a fantastic liar. And I used to lie all the time. And that was my response. That was my response to fear. That was my adjustment to the situation where I was, where I grew up. To please my parents, to please my mom, I had to lie to avoid the conflict, which then will trigger the fear. These little things are very interesting to know about yourself, to learn what are your certain reactions. Because now I don't experience fear um, as much as I used to. Like, Or maybe I experience fear in a different areas. Like I can be scared for my son. I can be scared to do something wrong at my job. Uh, but also because we gain more responsibility with age. We are working with this fear completely differently. So now let's say if I'm scared that I'm doing something or I'm not doing enough at my work, instead of lying about it or freezing and doing nothing, I'm becoming more proactive and I'm taking more time to do some work and I'm working at nights and I'm researching different things. I'm learning, I'm educating myself. I'm much more proactive. But if you don't work on these little things, if you don't explore these emotions, these paths that you take in order to react to a certain situation, um, you know, your reaction, even in adulthood, can be completely different. And tremendous amount of research are done nowadays to study fear um, in connection to understanding mood and anxiety disorders. And that's what I want to cover today even more. It's the connection between fear and mental health. We did cover the connection between fear and body before. And the first thing I'm, I've learned in the past, I would say in the past year, it's really fresh knowledge, but I'm using it all the time, is that when you are scared, when you're stressed or worried, where is it in your body? Listen to your body. And when it comes to a mental health, tremendous amount of, of research are done nowadays to study fear in connection to understanding mood and anxiety disorders. And that's what I want to cover today is the connection between fear and mental health. Uh, first of all, I'll keep bringing people back to one of the first episodes when I explained about the connection between mindfulness and your body. And I'm mentioning it because that's where it starts when you are afraid. When something is scaring you, you will feel the fear in your body first. So it's always good to build up on self-awareness in terms of mindfulness and be able to register the fear immediately. I wonder now if you heard about 90 seconds to emotional resilience. So all life and death reactions are vital to survival. And when they happen, your brain sends information from the outside world to the amygdala faster than it does to any other parts of your brain. 
This enables the amygdala to instantly take over and bypass the frontal cortex, the part of the brain in charge of planning and reasoning. And when the amygdala is in charge, you act without thinking. Sometimes our brain cannot tell the difference between a life-threatening situation or, let's say, an annoying client or a verbally aggressive driver in the car in the traffic. But there are differences between anxiety based in, in the amygdala, which triggers emotions, and anxiety based in cortex, which is overthinking. So that's when the 90 seconds rule comes in really handy. According to Harvard brain scientist Dr. Jill Bolt, Taylor, 90 seconds is all it takes to identify an emotion and allow it to dissipate while you simply notice it. So when you stress, pausing 90 seconds and labeling what you're feeling will help a lot and that will slow down activity in the amygdala. So Dr. Taylor's research suggests that mindfulness can help emotions move through you really quickly. And if you act within these 90 seconds, you'll be able to let go of lots of negative, if not all of them, lots of negative emotions much quicker. So instead of fuming and raging for hours, you'll come down in a few minutes. And instead of long lasting grief and hurt, the pain will dissolve a lot faster. So when the amygdala hijack doesn't happen, emotions don't take over. I hope that makes sense. So next time when you feel that hurricane of emotions swallowing you first, focus on what you feel. You can pay attention on your own thoughts and take a note of mental triggers. Two, give this feeling a label. When you label an emotion, it can be hard. Often we experience multiple at once and it narrowly down, this is exactly what you need to do, but it's not easy. And to help with that, Prepare a sheet for labeling your feelings. If you know that you struggle with naming them, for example. My friend, she's a psychologist. She sent me a list once with 200 emotions. 200. If you asked me then, maybe I could name possibly 20 if I really take my time and I really try hard. Because we know all the basic ones. Sad, angry, annoyed, happy. Yeah, but there are so many more emotions that you you can feel and that you are feeling, but sometimes it's just hard to identify them. So if you have this little cheat sheet, <laughs> let's call it this way, and whenever you feel like, oh, something something's off, but I don't know what it is, have a diary with you. Have it on your notes, on your phone, something very quick, quickly accessible so you can just open it up within those 90 seconds. Boom, done. Okay, so that's step two. Three, accept your emotions. Accept what you feel without judgments. Allow the feeling to come and go without judging or trying to change it. You are not a robot. You will, you have right to feel all range of emotions. Especially, it's very valuable to understand that you are allowed to be angry. You are allowed to be annoyed. You are allowed to be moody. It's fine. You are allowed to be aggressive. You, you, you are allowed everything, pretty much, in terms of emotions. Like, you, you can feel everything and anything. And yeah, experiencing your emotions can, can be scary. Often we feel like we need to hide them to make, to, to not make anyone upset, to avoid a conflict or to not make an awkward situation. Welcome to the episode about boundaries, by the way. <laughs> or we're afraid of judgment or anyone's reaction. Actually, I'm going to prepare uh, an episode about the um, shame and feeling ashamed because this is such a powerful emotion when you feel ashamed 
but it's such a useless emotion. No, we don't need this. It's such a controlling and manipulative emotion to make us be, you know, comfortable. Comfortable in terms of for others. So others will feel we are easygoing. But shame is ruining lots of ambitions. And shame is on the way of great things when it comes to so many people. And I feel shame, I think, daily for, for something. Sometimes I even feel shameful for just waking up. Like, you know, some people live with shame 24-7. They breathe with it. And this is sad. But let's go back to fear. Facing your emotions is important. And you need to make it a routine. And start small and observe them for just 10 seconds first. And then 30 and 60 and then you go to 90 and that's it. Every time you get tougher and the more you, you deal with emotions, the more you will be able to actually have a healthy outcome of dealing with them. And that's, that's, that's it. That's your 90 seconds rule. You'll feel calmer. You'll understand why you feel what you feel. Or at least you'll know where to dig to understand more about it. And amygdala won't take over and you won't just act based on whatever. Let's say this morning, uh, my mother-in-law, she said, oh, I'm going to buy a new car seat. And I, I find it ridiculous situation and ridiculous reaction within me. But I have had this urge of like, oh my God, okay, she's going to buy a car seat. And I know this car seat. It's like one of the best rear-facing car seats you can get. There's been done a, a tremendous research about it. Like it's literally one of the safest one out there and one of the best. And as soon as she said that, she, I was like, oh, okay. So she's got the best car seat ever for her grandkids. And I'm a mother. Shouldn't I have the best car seat for my own child? And I got angry with myself. And I got all angry and I was like, da, da, da. but then we were putting kids into the car and I, I, I was about to, to drive off and go back home to work. And um, so I didn't have those 90 seconds to actually react on my own emotions. So that left me for about half hour driving back thinking, oh my God, the car seat, I need the car seat. And I was angry at myself. I was getting angry and annoyed that someone else care enough to buy the best car seats for children and I don't. And then I was like, whoa, 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 Anna, calm down. What is this about? Hold on a second. First of all, what do I feel? I feel angry. I feel shamed. I feel jealous. Why? Because someone has best of the best. But what, what, what does my kid have? What Does my kid just driving in the car with no car seat, just sitting there flying around, not safe? No, he's got a great car seat. Does it work? Yes. Does it do the job? Yes. Is it in a good condition and safe enough for him to be in the car? Definitely. So then why is this a problem? And just a little bit of digging and bringing myself to now and to actually thinking of what I feel, why I might feel this way, what other emotions do I feel? What I felt when I actually heard those news because I, I felt more fumed okay and then I felt even angrier when I sat in the car why and then I I found myself on the page with that car seat pretty much clicking by and I was like whoa 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 what are you doing and you know and, and a lot of these things they are literally just hijacking your 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 mindset your mindfulness you're not there anymore you're gone that's it so the whole point of being mindfulness is just to be able to to stop and just be like what am I doing what is going on right now? Do I need this? Why am I reacting this way? And just sit down and think and write it down if needed or just say it out loud. Talk it through with yourself and then you're done. And I didn't buy the car seat and I don't care now about the car seats. I left it in my notes thinking, okay, whenever this car seat isn't good enough anymore, that's the car seat I'm going to go for. 
And at the end of the day, this is my son's grandma we're talking about. She's going to put my kid in that car seat anyway. So what's the difference? And that's why it's such a ridiculous situation. And that made me laugh after a while because I was like, this is just... The automatic reactions are just boom, 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 boom. Tornado, hurricane, end of the world, that's it. But as soon as you just calm down and breathe and actually start thinking and go back to you to now, the situation just just goes away. It's like a storm that just came here for 10 minutes and then, you know, you look out of the window and it's sunny again as if storm never happened. And I used to think that fear is a great catalyst when it comes to achieving things because that's how I operate. <laughs> and actually this situation with the car seat it all is also based on fear because I fear what if not what if I'm not good enough what if I'm not you know I'm not making the best the best effort out there and what if someone is going to judge me or what if someone something's going to happen with my kid and I'll be the reason why he you know got hurt in the car during the accident or something because I didn't buy that car seat it's lots of fears in there but yeah fear isn't not great catalyst let's say i don't know you you can see situations differently you can be scared of um dying of being no one so you have to achieve and achieve and achieve and do things and be proactive and just like you know smash it in 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 a life overall you can be scared to die early so you can make sure that you're healthy, you can eat good, you can do lots of exercises, um, you can avoid all the bad habits, no smoking, no drinking. Um, you can be scared to, let's say, not be a good parent. So that's why you just trying to, you know, trying all your best to be a good parent. But you can you can flip it instead of being scared and doing things because you're scared. You can just say, okay, yeah, I do have my fears, fine. But I do want to be healthy because I do want to live longer. Because I do want to, I do want my body to be strong enough. I do want to be a good parent because I love my kid. And I think they deserve to be in a great family. They deserve to be treated well, as everyone does. I do want to become someone in this life. I do want to achieve things. I know my goals. I know what I want. And okay, I might not achieve things. That's fine. But the world doesn't stop there. And if you do things not because you're scared of not doing them, it'll bring you much further because you're going to actually enjoy what you're doing. Imagine swimming in in lake because you just enjoy swimming or swimming in a lake or like swimming in a sea um to not try to get eaten by shark which one's going to be more enjoyable i i reckon swimming in a, in a lake will be much better because you just relax you're just enjoying yourself you're enjoying the views you're enjoying the temperature of the water and you're just swimming and you can swim across the lake if you want if you're big enough if you have enough strength you can you can do this but if you're in that sea with the shark do you even know how warm the water is do you even know like how deep the water is? What's around you? You're just focused on getting to the to the shore, like to not dying. And you you're not enjoying the process. The swimming doesn't matter because the fear is just there, you know? So that's the difference. And here are more great news for you. <laughs> fear that is programmed into the amygdala. It can be changed. Many objects and situations are naturally feared by the amygdala, meaning they weren't programmed into the amygdala at birth. Instead, the amygdala learns to fear them 
as the direct result of life experience. For example, child doesn't naturally fear heights. Kids learn that, you know, if you climb too high and, and you fall, they'll hurt. And same goes, let's say, um, to fire. A flame burns that child, they'll naturally begin to fear anything associ associated with a fire. Candles, lighters, sparkles, bonfires, stove, anything. So that's the amygdala at work. But since the amygdala can be reprogrammed, the child can, over time, learn not to be fear certain things. Let's say you're, you're scared of spiders, and then after a certain time, you'll learn to not be scared of, of spiders. Um, not my case, terrified, but some people do that. Or lots of people are overcoming their fears, let's say parachuting, uh, flying planes, or, um, you know, some, the, what's it called? The jumping of the building, you know, like really high jumping. Um, I'm not sure what's it called, actually. Um, lots, yeah, they do lots of different exercises and activities to not being scared of heights. And same goes to anything that makes you scared. You can teach yourself that it's not scary not to become a millionaire. Or it's not scary if you're not successful by the age of 30. It's not scary to not own your house. It's not scary to not, um, I don't know, to, to, to not travel as long as you want. Everything can become not scary. And the amygdala will form an emotional memory of an experience and attach it to such as a smell or um, an object. Yet, you will have no awareness of it. So sometimes you might fear the object or smell without any conscious memory to back it up. But what you can do is you can register these feelings and emotions and to become aware of what's going on now when you are experiencing certain things. So mindfulness isn't only a fancy word that's out there helping to sell books, courses, educational programs. It's a tool that you can and should use on a daily basis. So feel the fear, acknowledge your emotions, accept it all, and keep living your happy life. Uh, thanks again for today. It means a lot to me to have you here. Don't forget to follow the Mindfulness Broadcast on Spotify or any other platform to not miss the new episodes. And I'll talk to you soon. Yours truly, Anastasia. Bye.